Yeah, and one, one thing that was really fascinating in the book was that you, you were talking to, you know, like have interviews with sort of like Richard Branson, with, you know, Elon you know, Musk, you know, and the, these guys, and suddenly hearing some of these things where, you know, there was, you know, just the type of thinking in order to get there, you know, it's, it's a completely different level. And so you just got to just raise your game, um, which was, yeah, it was, it was fascinating well, hearing some of those things. I think the cool news, I agree with you, right? But I think what makes this, I mean, this isn't the first time in history that massively successful people have given advice, right? But what, I, what sets us apart, I think, at this time, two things. One, first of all, we have the internet. We have so much connectivity that all this advice is coming together and we're able to sift through and compare, right? And that's sort of what we did with, with the kind of the four guys you talked about. We looked at, I think, 200 hours of their speeches besides doing long interviews with all of them. And we boiled it down to eight core principles, right? We found eight principles that overlap in all their thinking that they all share. More importantly, because technology is accelerating so fast because biotechnology is accelerating four times, five times the speed of Moore's law, right? So every four months, it's doubling in power. That's just insane. Just, right? just, for, just for anyone at home who doesn't know what Moore's law is, it's... Moore's law, Gordon Moore founded Intel. And a couple of years before he did, 1965, he discovered that the number of integrated circuits on a computer chip were doubling every 18 months. This is an exponential growth. Not linear growth is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? Exponential growth is two, four, eight, 16. It's very deceptive, right? If I take 30 linear steps from right here, I'm gonna end up 30 feet away, right? If I take 30 exponential steps from right here, I'm a billion feet away. I've orbited the globe 26 times, right? Big difference. So he discovered that, hey, computer chips seem to be progressing this way, and they are, right? And that has stayed constant for almost 60 years, and it's the reason why kind of the cell phone in your pocket is 70, is a thousand times faster and a million times cheaper than a supercomputer from the 1970s. It's also the reason, right, because it's continuing that nine years from now, the average thousand dollar laptop is going to have as much power as the human brain, right? Very big progression <laughs> is my point here. And so it's showing up in technology, but it's also showing up in a lot of other fields, biotechnology, 3D printing, the list kind of goes on and on. There's about 12 of the, these areas that are accelerating this quickly, biotechnology being one of them, but I can't remember why I was telling you about biotechnology. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, ju I jumped in. I was like, shit, everyone should actually oh, know what but Moore's final thought. The, bio the advances in biotechnology, same thing as driving flow research forward. We can look under the hood of these things, right? We can, we can take their advice and say, okay, this is cool. This is interesting. Why does it work? And we now can peer deep enough in the brain that we're starting to get answers to those questions. So it's a confluence of stuff that's coming together that's giving us real, real advantage. If one a step of our mental game, there's never been a better time for it. You can get farther faster today than ever before in history. Amazing. And would you mind sharing the story uh, of Stone Soup? Because I just thought it was, it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. It was, this, um, it was in bold, but it was, this, it was the idea of um, what it was talking about passion and actually with the soldiers. Because it was the first time I'd ever heard that story. Yeah, it's an old folk tale, right? And it, was, it really impacted Peter's life. And the idea, the story is a bunch of hungry soldiers come into a village. They're looking for food. And the villagers see them coming and they're like, oh, crap, the soldiers are coming. Lock up doors, hide your food. They'll take all our food, right? So they get into town and... They go to the first door and they knock and, you know, do you have any food? And the leader says, no, we have no food. Go away. Slams the door. Second door, half, same thing happens. Third time. Finally, 
the soldier, one of the soldiers looks at the other and says, never mind, forget about it. We're going to make stone soup. And they go to the middle of town. They boil a big pot of water. And, you know, the villagers are starting to get curious what the hell's going on. They find these three big rocks, right? They put them in the middle and they just boil them and they talk it up. Oh, the soup's going to be great. It's going to be great. And finally, one of the villagers gets tired of just like watching these guys and says, hey, uh, if you guys are making enough stew for everybody, can I help? Can I pitch in? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know what would make stone soup so much better? Some carrots. If you happen to have any carrots, that'd be awesome. Another villager you know, turns to him and says, oh, yeah, I'm tired of watching, too. You know, can I help? And they're like, well, do you have any potatoes? Right, and on and on it goes. And eventually, of course, everybody pitches in enough and the soup gets made. And the idea here is passion is infectious. It's contagious, right? And if you want to go after a bold vision, you need passion. And you need it for a couple of reasons. This term is so misused and so mystified and so annoying to me. But when you dig under the hood of passion, you get all the gunk out of the way and look at what you're looking at. Passion is important for a couple of reasons. The first is flow states are all driven by focus, right? They happen when all our attention is focused in the here and now. Passion is a flow trigger because we pay more attention to the stuff that we believe in. Simple as that, right? So it's intrinsically motivating. The other thing is, Obviously, passion is very infectious. Infectious. When you have a big, bold vision and you're very passionate about it, other people are drawn to your vision, right? And, you know, this is both, you know, stone soup, but it's what Peter's seen with the X Prize, right? He's taking on grand challenges, poverty, education, spaceflight, all these kinds of things. He attracts huge followers, Right, enormous, enormous followers. We've seen the same same thing at the Flow Genome Project. Right, people are really, really rabid for the fact that we kind of want to open source ultimate human performance to humanity. It's a big vision, and um, you know we've built the largest open source research project into ultimate human performance, so anybody can play, and people want to share it. They get involved. So yeah, it works in the fable, but it really works in real life. Right. I like that. Yeah, you know, you, you got such a you know, you got such a massive vision. Then you know, it, it's exciting and it attracts people. Like in in your Flow Genome Project on on your board, like you've got all these you know awesome people like Jason Silver. You got you know all these like, amazing like doctors, and it's yeah. I mean, if you got such a, a you know an audacious, crazy vision, but it's it's you know it attracts. Like I think some somewhere was a quote about something that acts as like a beacon, and it actually attracts all these amazing people. You know, and so I think that was I think that's fascinating. And I think that's always been the case, right? That's how innovation works, yeah. right? And, uh, I mean, obviously, it helps to have a vision that's kind of grounded in reality, right? You know, I could say to you, okay, I've got this vision. We're going to go to Cygnus X1 uh, by Tuesday, right? It's a huge vision, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, so you've got to have, <laughs> have, have your feet on the ground, but your head, yeah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> And what are the, uh, the rising billion? And what are some of the ways in which technology is helping them to live a more abundant life today? So the idea, this is an idea that comes out of our book, Abundance, which is about raising global standards of living, right? And the idea at the heart of abundance is that there are these four emerging forces right now that give us this opportunity, give us this possibility to kind of meet and exceed the basic needs of every man, woman, and child on the planet. One of them is the rising billion, the so-called you know, poorest of the poor people living on a dollar a day or two dollars a day, right? What's happening right now is 
all these folks are coming online, right? If Google has their way, I mean, it's three or four billion people online right now, but if Google or Facebook or SpaceX have their way and we get ubiquitous internet, it's going to be seven billion people by the end of the decade, right? The cool part about this is we've never had access to these people before. Certainly, we can sell them stuff, right? Absolutely, that you know that's going to go on. In fact, there are people, a lot of people talking about the fact that we're going to start giving away tablets and cell phones and whatnot just to open up these markets because it's the interface that unlocks you know a huge market. And you know, Dean Kamen, the inventor Dean Kamen, pointed out nobody thinks about these folks as a market, but. Three billion people, four billion people, all on a dollar a day, two dollars a day, right? If you're getting ten percent of that for clean water, it's a huge market, right? It's a huge opportunity, which has led us to kind of this idea that the world's biggest problems may also be the world's biggest opportunities. But on the flip side, the cool stuff about the rising billion is it's not this is not poverty the way we used to think about it, right? These people are massively connected. They've got Google, which gives them access to you know the same level of information and communication technology as you know presidents had 25 years ago. We've got you know they're extremely better educated. We've got the Khan Academy, and take your pick, right? Um, you can now essentially go kindergarten through grad school online for free. So this is a much better educated rising billion. Um, we're seeing all kinds of inroads with healthcare that are distributed in healthcare through technology. Same thing, so much healthier rising billion. But the cool thing is, what we're going to get out of these folks is contributions we cannot predict at all. And I want to tell you a story. This is my favorite contributions you can't predict story and what the crowd makes possible. So, protein folding, how a two dimensional amino acid folds into a three dimensional protein is a big deal. Protein structure determines its function, right? So for drug discovery, for medical advances, all this stuff, protein folding is a big deal. Till a few years ago, it was a supercomputer problem, right? A very hard problem nobody could solve. And then a bunch of grad students at the University of Washington said, hey, you know, the human brain is really good at pattern recognition, and protein folding is all about pattern recognition. So let's just see if people can do this. And they created a game called Fold It, right? They put it online very quickly, like, Hundreds of thousands of people signed up to play. So the first thing we saw is radical advances in medicine. And one example here is there's a monkey produce, a, a monkey pox that produces AIDS. And research has been trying to figure out the structure of this protein for like 13 years. Nobody could do it. It's a black hole. In 10 days, a bunch of amateurs working on Fold It in their spare time for free cracked it and it's now being used to make major medicines. So that's that's the cool news. Like it works. Look, crowdsourcing works. Big surprise, right? Here's the cool part of the story. A couple of years ago, the researchers who created the game got curious. They were like, well who's the best protein folder in the world, right? And they figured it was going to be a Caltech professor or an MIT grad student or whatever. And then they looked. And it wasn't a Caltech professor or an MIT grad student. It was Suzanne, a middle-aged, lower middle class woman from Liverpool who by day is an executive secretary in a rehab clinic. And at night, unbeknownst to her until this started, right, she's the world's best protein folder, right? <laughs> so the crazy part about all this stuff is when we talk about unlocking hidden potential, what our technology allows us to do is tease out those things we're really good at, those things we're really passionate about and that we're kind of custom built for that we've never been able to tap into before. So when we talk about the rising billion as a force, 
right? Some of it is the obvious stuff, the stuff you can see, the impact on the market, you know, outsourcing jobs, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff we've seen. We know that. More importantly, as more and more people come online, we're going to get these emergent properties, stuff we've never expected, stuff we haven't seen coming, and it's going to come out of nowhere. So it's exciting times. Really exciting. And then um, this, this phrase uh, by a guy called Bruce Sterling, I, lo- I loved it, follow your weird. <laughs> what, what, what does that phrase mean to you? Well, Bruce Sterling is obviously you know, one of the great kind of cyberpunk science fiction thinkers, writers of our time. Um, and I, you know, I think follow your weird means, so let me back up for a second because it's, it's actually a slightly harder question than I, than, 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 I, than it seems. Um, cause there's the obvious follow your weird, but remember I talked a little bit ago about passion, right? It gets really mystified, right? And a lot of people, a lot of people know what the, I, I was four years old when I first started writing. I have wanted to be a writer my entire life. Right. I was writing poetry at four. So obviously it was in me. It was a natural fit. But a lot of people don't know what the hell they're passionate about. Right. And worse, the examples they have of passion are what it looks like on the back end. We see how passionate Michael Jordan is about basketball. Right. We get that. We see Beckham and soccer. Right. We see what the end result looks like. But what does it look like on the front end? We don't get treated to that. So we think it's going to look the same on the front end as the back end, and it doesn't, right? And what I always tell people, if you want to figure out what you're passionate about, make a list of about 25 things you're really curious about. And be, and this is where the follow your weird comes in, and be as specific as possible, right? And I'll tell you a story. The first time I gave this exercise, it's, it came out of a writing exercise. It came out as, as a way to like look where your passion overlaps, right, as good ideas for exercises. So the very first time I gave this exercise anywhere, um, before I realized it was a passion exercise when I still thought it was writing, I was in grad school and I was teaching. They had run out of teacher professorships or assistantships, and so I got stuck with teaching creative writing in the Detroit school system for high school kids, or in, excuse me, in the Baltimore school system for high school kids. And so I go in and I give this assignment, and I'm like, okay, you know, make a list of all the things you're, you're really excited about. And you're really curious about, like, if you had a free weekend and money was no object, what would you spend it learning, right? That kind of stuff. And come back to me. And people came back to me, and of course, being teenagers, number one on everybody's list was sex. (laughs) And I said, well, that's fine, but that doesn't tell me anything. Sex does not follow your weird. I want to know that you want to dress up in squirrel suits and have, you know, blah, 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 blah. Be as specific as possible. And then look for places where three or four or five of these curiosities overlap because that's where the most energy is. That's what passion looks like on the front end. It's these are a bunch of things I was curious about and they overlap here so there's a ton of energy. So play there. And playing there is following your weird, right? Because where four or five of your passions intersect, that's uniquely you. Nobody else is going to share that overlap, right? So you've, you've carved out a niche for yourself, what you're most passionate about, what you're most into, the follow your weird <laughs> stuff. And it gives you an edge, gives you a way to move forward. I love that. I'm definitely going to do that exercise. <laughs> uh, now we just a couple of speed round questions that we finish up with. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Well, <laughs> all right. You ever seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? No. 
George Clooney's movie, the Chuck Barris story, and it opens with the bleakest opening to any movie ever. And the quote it opens with, and it's George Clooney later, somebody standing naked in a hotel room with a maid vacuuming, and Reagan's being inaugurated on the television, and it's bleak. And you hear this voiceover, and the voice says, when you're young, your potential is infinite. You could be anything, really. You might be Einstein. You might be DiMaggio. And then what you have been, what then what, what you might be gives way to what you have been. You weren't Einstein. You weren't anything. That's a bad moment. <laughs> heavy quote, right? Really heavy quote. So to me, a fulfilled life is not giving into that bad moment, right? I, you know, I think most people when they're young, they really do want to change the world, right? And it gets beaten out of us. Life beats it out of us. There's no way around it. But what's different today and what's cool today, because of the advances we're making on the technological side and because of the advances we're making on the mental side, right? For the very first time in history, individuals can actually change the world, which is radical, right? A thousand years ago, you wanted to impact the world as kings and pharaohs. A hundred years ago, it was robber barons and industrialists. Today, it's all of us. So, you know, I'm a big fan of go big. Right, go big or go home. It's you know, it's it's what we do in action sports, and I think it carries into everything. So I don't know what a fulfilled life is. Um, I think that you know differs for everybody. I know statistically, and what studies show is that the people with the most flow in their lives are the people who score the highest on overall well-being and life satisfaction. So certainly, flow plays a huge component. But for for me, you know, why not try to change the world? The only thing we know for sure is we get one shot. Right, we get one shot at this life. Spend it wisely. It's one of those, one of my favorite answers so far. <laughs> and what is one thing all our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? I don't know if it's going to have a massive positive effect today. But take more risks. Practice taking risks. Nothing. No. First of all, nothing that focuses attention and drives flow as much. But you need it for everything risk-taking and, you know, go directly at the stuff you're afraid of. Everything you want is on the other side of that. Awesome answer. And are there any books or resources which have changed or had a massive impact on your life? Oh, I mean, take your pick. Um, there's, I mean, book-wise, you want, you want the long list, the short list? I mean, that, you know, give me a topic. What would be, what would be like your desert island? What would be like your desert island book? I don't know if I have a desert island book. Um, uh, I've got, you know, when, when people ask me, I, The User Illusion, Torney Anders, it's a book on consciousness that really, really impacted me. A lot of my research into flow uh, got a huge boost from a book called Bone Games. It was written back in the 80s by a guy named Rob Schultes, and it was you know, it was really the first book that said, hey, wait a minute, mystical experiences seem to share a lot of overlap with flow experiences, and maybe we're looking at the same thing. And the, it was the very first time I had seen somebody kind of poke at this stuff. So Bone Games was, it would be high on my list. Plus, Rob Schultes is a beautiful writer. Fantastic. And last but not least, how can people stay in touch, find out more about you and your work? For sure. Um, StephenCotler.com, my website. Um, you, we talked earlier about flow triggers, right? You can find a free, dot, a free PDF on stephencotler.com that kind of outlines all 17 of the flow triggers and how to apply them in your life. 
or you can go to flowgenomeproject.com. As I said, there's a free flow diagnostic there. And if this stuff is interesting to you, we also have a flow fundamentals course that's digitally delivered six weeks um, online, not very expensive. And a couple thousand people have been through at this point. And on average, people are finding a five-fold increase in flow. So a huge 500% bump in the amount of flow in their lives on the back end of this course. So A, this stuff is really trainable and B, it's available to you. Brilliant, Stephen. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really, really appreciate it. It's been absolutely so fascinating. My pleasure. Thank you. Took a complete scattergun approach, but I was like, you know what? I've only got one shot of this. So I was going to talk about that, that, that. No, so. you can have more than one. I'll come back. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. Bye-bye.